Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. Blog Talk Radio. Tonight we will go back in time to seasons past when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score that brings victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football on the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network in conjunction with Swick Enterprises. We're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America that focuses upon the history and memorability of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 140-plus years of football history and memorabilia. And you can find us on the web at RedironGreatsMagazine.com. We're sponsored in part by MSB Sports Cards. Check out their website for one of the largest selections on the web of football cards and football memorabilia at MSBSportsCards.com. And we're also sponsored by DSD Auctions. Check out their website and their upcoming fall auction. DSDAuctions.com. Make sure you register for this upcoming fall auction. It's going to be incredible. At this time, I'd like to introduce my co-host, who is a senior contributing writer to Good Iron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawks items, in particular Steve Larger. He hails across the country from Portland, Oregon. Joe Squires. Joe, welcome to the show this afternoon. Captain. Captain, good afternoon. So happy to be here. I, I still can't but help help but chuckle several times during the intro. First of all, your your football, you know, your it just, I absolutely love that. It just it, it it gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. And then it also is, hearing red something range, yeah, and hearing red range and Steve Largent in the same sentence. So, <laughs> so I love it. Yeah. Well, I, I heard um, uh, off off football just a second. I heard you were in the path of the eclipse, and um, you were photographing or uh, photog- uh, taking photographs of it as as it was going by you in Oregon. There is that true or false? Yeah, 
was, yeah. I mean, uh, there's a spot in, you know, the uh, the eclipse went right through the middle of uh, of Oregon, and I traveled down wow. to southeast Oregon to see it for, you know, spent uh, you know three days and lots of money to go stay at a place for you know two minutes worth of uh, nights. But I mean, I remember wow. when the last one came around, I was you know nine years old in second grade, and I just had to see it, and uh, well worth it, well worth it, sir. Very good, very good. We we only had a partial eclipse here, and um, it, it was it was uh, not as pronounced as other parts of the country, but uh, yeah. it, it was very interesting to say the least. Well, we're going to switch gears, get back to football here. A lot has happened since uh, the last show. I did uh, for our listeners a live sh- a live show from the national. I did a thirty minute update of what was going on there, what I saw. Uh, different items, different pieces that I saw. I know, Joe, you weren't able to come to the National. Uh, and uh, it, w- it was very interesting. It, w- it was uh, very um, a very much same yet different, if you know what I mean. I saw stuff yeah. that I saw at the last National there. I saw a lot of new stuff. Um, yeah. I'm, very, I'm very surprised that if that national show was ever done on a second floor, the weight of the plastic slabs would probably break it <laughs> and bring it down to the first floor. That's my honest opinion. Yeah. And I, I still maintain I should have bought plastic stock uh, five, <laughs> ten years ago. But in any event, there was, there was a lot of interest, a lot of interesting items there. Uh, I got to see some people I haven't seen in a long time. And it, yeah. it, was, just, yeah. it was just a, a typical national and it was a typical, um, what's a good way of putting it, a typical show of that nature where you had a great blend of customers, of individuals going there, many yeah. people just going for the box breaks, many people just going for the autograph guests, and many hardcore autograph, collectors yep. trying to trying to find a couple cards for their collection type of thing. Yeah, and, uh, and I, I listened to the show, oddly enough, Captain. Uh, oh, I, I, I listened to your show. And I, I, I loved your show. It, it was, it was missing that comedic sidekick, but uh, it was a good show. <laughs> um, it was tough uh, talking to and, and straight. That's all I can say. But um, yeah, and, I did it. Uh, and it was, you, and you've mentioned this before. You're like, there's a lack of vintage, uh, and, and a lack of raw vintage football. We've talked it around before. We, we think football represents about 10 percent of the hobby. And, uh, yeah. you know, uh, you know, a dealer once told me, he goes, he, he thinks that footballers tend to hang on to their stuff a lot longer. Al Chris Apoli said this. He's like, you know, uh, footballers tend to hang on for st- to stuff. A baseball collector, if they want to buy something, they will sell something to make room for that. But footballers tend to hang on to stuff a lot longer. So, and I've, I've heard nothing to base that off of other than, you know, somebody who's been in the industry and been, you know, exposed to that a lot more than I have, but it makes sense because I don't, I don't sell a lot of stuff unless I decide to move on from something. I tend to, oh, that's an amazing piece. Let me rustle up some money to get it, you know. Uh, well, and, you, you know, you hearing up, you talk about the national. You bring up an excellent point, and I was, I was going to relate this to my basically four-day conversation with Mike Blaisdell there. And the <laughs> historical perspective – of his collection coming to auction is just yep. incredible. 
and I can't stress it enough, and talking to several very uh, advanced collectors out there, they, they understood what I was saying. I said, this is a once-in-a-lifetime collection that's coming to market. And if yep. you're looking for you're looking for something, he probably has it, number one. And number two, I would venture to say you're going to bid against three or four other people who need that to complete their collection. And because yeah. of that, it will make the auction even more, in my opinion, spectacular from a football hobby collection, uh, football hobby perspective. Not that that it's just it's going to be some amazing pieces that are coming to the market, and it's a once in a lifetime no. deal. That's that's I really I really believe that. Not yeah, you talked to your, and, you know during your intro to the show, you talked about sponsored by you know BST MSB and uh, one of the. Uh, you know, I just got the email tickler for, uh, you know, for the, you know, the upcoming auction. And on the, you know, on the email is that, you know, 1926 Spalding, uh, or ex- excuse me, not Spalding, the, uh, you know, the Shotwell, Shotwell. picture yep. card, you know, with the rare number 77 Red Grange, uh, you know, in uniform card, uh, two known examples. And most of us know where the other example is going anywhere any, anytime soon. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing to me, amazing to me that the pieces are going to be coming up for auction. And uh, the other comment, I, I have to parallel with the National. Now, I, I did get a chance to walk around several times through the course of the show. And as in, anyone who knows me know, I always look for oddball items. And uh-huh. uh, I, I, I know Jeff Payne was out for a couple of days there, and I know he was scouting for the oddball stuff, and he would – you know, tell me what I was, you know, tell me where some stuff was, so on and so forth. I was just amazed at really the lack of oddball stuff on the floor. Yep. And it was few and far between. Yep. And at the same time, it was few and far between. I was truly amazed to see the true, um, what's, a, what's a good word to use, the true difficulty in trying to find the uh, let's say Fairmont Chiefs um, very cutouts. Yeah. Only two dealers had it, and again, for a lot of the collectors who were looking for it, and I'm sure there was probably I would say realistically eight or nine collectors looking for those cards. Most of those cards are yeah. the cards they had already, and you know that that's a, oh, that's no a tough find. And and in my case, uh, Brenda was with me. She was looking from dealer to dealer. For my 1894 Mayos, and I, I couldn't find anything that I needed for my collection, and I, I thought that was amazing. That's the first national I've ever been to, where Without I'm bad. down to so, you know, a handful of cards, and I can't find them. Obviously, Dunlop, you know, was number one on my want list, but I wasn't expecting to yeah. see it there. But a few other ones, well, I really first, thought I was going to pick up, and uh, well, there was nothing all, there. You know, first of all, Bob. First of all, Bob. I'm, I'm, proud of you for not calling it a Mayo anymore. Uh, you know, we, we've cured you of that, you know, in six years of shows. <laughs> do, you, the do you remember that you called it a Mayo? Mayo. Mayo Kepler. Mayo Kepler. And I, I, used to, I used to make fun of you in, incessantly about that. Oregon and Mayo. <laughs> I, uh, so, I updated uh, my, my views to Mayo. So, but, uh, in, yeah. but in any event, it's just to me. That's surprising. I, I was just... I, I was very, I was very, very surprised not to see. Although there were some on the floor, 
And if uh, and anyone who knows me knows how I detest graded cards. I am putting that set together in SGC 2030. Uh, I did see a lot more PSA graded ones. However, they were the ones I had already. If there was a PSA graded one, which I felt was in that that area of 20 to 30 SGC crossover, I would have bought it and then popped it out and, and crossed it over, much to the chagrin of many dealers who I mentioned that to. Um, but I, I just feel that the SGC background is a lot nicer than the PSA clear plastic. It doesn't do anything for the card whatsoever. Without a doubt. Uh, so no, totally. That, totally. I don't know what so it is, that, but I, I also have a couple of SGC holders that have broken on me recently, and you know, and oh, left really? uh, you know left a very very old card floating around, you know, inside a slab. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, I've never had a PSA slab break on me, but. Yeah, it's it's interesting, but they look a lot better, you know, in the SGC slab. There's no doubt about it. Right, right, right. So that that's the only reason why I'm collecting it in that uh, in in that uh, particular holder. So um, Sur- surprised again, me. You know, surprises like, me. No mayos, not a one. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, and uh, I, I I could not I could not cross over. In other words, have a mix of PSAs and SGCs. They all have to be SGCs, and, and I'm, I'm obviously assuming my last card is going to be the Dunlop whenever I find it. I'm still hoping to find it at a tag sale here locally since he, um, <laughs> since there, there were Ivy League teams. I'm just waiting to go to the uh, proverbial tag sale and open up the cheese box and see them in there. <laughs> and the person with the cheese box said, oh, give me $20 for them. So I think I get rid of them. If not, I'm going to put them to the curb and into the garbage. All right, so that, yeah. that was a real, real quick, um, real quick overview as far as uh, the national. And again, uh, I'm I, I am pleased. Uh, I saw the numbers of people who listened to the show. So uh, several people did comment afterwards, stating they were very happy that I did give them a report live from the show. And uh, unfortunately, due to technical difficulties beyond my control. I was not able to do that second show on Saturday, so uh, here we are now, uh, about a month out from the national. Next year's nationals in Cleveland should be interesting. Uh, very I will, difficult. I will one hundred percent be there. I very will one hundred percent be here. Yep. Very difficult show to get to if you're staying anywhere except right next to the. I think it's the Sheridan that's attached to the convention center there so it's, it should be interesting what ha- what happens i i am planning on staying downtown cleveland i'm not going to do what i did last time it was just not not conducive to a big show to say the least. but um looking at that viewing that that was a national on a more serious note we had talked very briefly about this before i'm very upset joe with the nfl and I'm not going to hide my anger, my being upset. I am really, really tired of the kneeling, sitting down for the national anthem. And I'm just going to make two points on it, and then I'll open it up to you. Number one, whether these guys like it or not, and whether these guys are trying to be so sociologists or whatever, they're employed by the NFL the individual team mm-hmm. of the NFL. That team is their employer, whether they want to believe it or not. And yep. they need to follow 
what guidelines that they are given and perimeters are given from the first day they walk into that camp. And I know damn well when they walk into that camp, they have a probably a three four hundred page book they got to go through on what you're supposed to do, and and how you're supposed to act and how you're supposed to dress as a National Football League player. And I know for a fact too, one part of that is you stand during the national anthem, and it really, really, really I hate to say it bothers me to the point that I've talked to several people. I am going to write something for the fall issue of GG. On it, uh, it's just it. You know, it is what it is. I, I do not like it. And again, you can't change history. History is what our country is based upon. If you're really upset about something, then work to change whatever is upsetting you. And you don't make change by violently crashing into or ruining statues that have been in existence for two or three hundred years. That's something the Taliban did and does. That's something that we should not yeah. see in America. All right, I throw it to you. Yeah. Two two issues there that you're getting into. One is uh, silent protesting, and the other one is you know tearing down a statue. The silent protesting. Uh, obviously, I'm ex-Navy, uh, so there's a certain amount of you know patriotism that goes with the national anthem. Uh, it upsets me to see people keep their hat on during the national anthem. It upsets me you know, to see people disrespecting that, uh, mm-hmm. that, that being, that being said, you know, my minor in college was American history with a focus on, you know, the revolutionary era. I also believe mm-hmm. in people's rights and, you know, one of people's rights is to peacefully protest, you know, or, you know, peacefully assemble, you know, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, those are your rights to the government. Those aren't your rights to your, you know, your, you don't have an employee-employer bill of rights. You have a government bill mm-hmm. of rights. Uh, if you are an NFL player, you are an employee for the team. Uh, and I, I own an electoral company, so I have, you know, nearly 50 employees. Those employees are representing me and my, mm-hmm. my, value, my values of my company when they go out and do their work. If somebody does something that flies in the face of those values, they've got a right to do that, but I've got a right to terminate their employment. So Colin Kaepernick Kaepernick has the right to do whatever he wants to do on his own time. Uh, He can hold a press conference. He can, uh, you know, he can have his publicist say something. He can, uh, he can go march at, you know, at a rally. He can do whatever he wants on his own time. I, uh, I, I'm with you lockstep on that, Captain. Uh, you know, the national anthem of an NFL game, while you are being, you know, played, employed, is not the forum. I mean, and obviously, you know, obviously Colin Ka- Kaepernick holding a news conference doesn't get the airplay that taking a knee does. So that's why he's choosing it. So, you, you know, Colin Kaepernick has the right to do whatever he wants to do on his own time. When he takes the field, when he hits the when he hits the stadium, puts on the pads, he is an employee. And as an employer, you know any team has the right to terminate that employee. Uh, you know, so uh, yeah, during a game is not not the time. I, I would agree with you. Um, so. I mean, you know, and 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 again, is he that great of a quarterback that he should be playing? Is another question I have, or is it just because he's the 
you know, he's the spokesperson for this protest movement, and therefore he needs to play. And then, and then you, you know, you got people on both sides of the, the boycotting, people like myself, if these guys are going to sit there in the anthem, I'm not going to watch the game. And I got the other, you got yeah. the other side of people. Well, if they're not going to not going to take a knee, and they're not going to be listened to, I'm not watching the game. So the NFL yeah. really has, a, in my opinion, a, a public relations disaster on their hands right now. I really yeah. don't. Yeah. I'm not hearing any response other than what. Um, um, oh boy, Dallas Jerry Cowboys Jones. owner Jerry, yeah, is Jerry um, stating. And, you know, and I, I agree with what he's saying. I mean, I, I'm glad he's, he's making a stand. I'm glad he's saying what he's saying. And he has every right yeah. to He owns that team. That's simple. Yeah. You know? And no, and he, it, he, just, he employs people. It, it, yeah. I, I'd be curious to see if somebody, if a Dallas Cowboy player took a knee, if Jerry Jones would fire that person. Now, there's personal conduct, you know, clauses in every NFL contract. Right. If uh, right. if somebody gets arrested for you know for abuse, now it's now it's pretty standard in the personal conduct policy. That person gets released from the team without terminated in the NFL for you know for personal misconduct, and they have guidelines around it. So uh, right. I don't think taking a knee I don't think taking a knee falls under personal misconduct. So I, I don't think somebody could be fired, but you could have you know your boss saying I am not pleased mm-hmm. with that person, uh, you know, et cetera. Uh, Michael Bennett, you know, a, you know, a Seattle Seahawks yeah. player is taking a knee now also. And, you know, I, I, there's an old saying, you know, as a military person, I, uh, I, you know, I, I respect your right, you know, to say what you want to say. Uh, I will die for that right. But that doesn't mean yeah. I have to, have to you know, listen to what you're saying. Um, so it's, yeah, it's interesting. I think but, you know, Colin, Colin Kaepernick was a quarterback for the 49ers. Obviously, the 49ers are in the NFC West with the Seahawks. So I, I got to see Colin Kaepernick play twice a year. He, he was good. He, start, he had his problems. And you started to see the problems after the 49ers lost the NFC Championship to the Seahawks when they went on to win the mm-hmm. Super Bowl that year. Uh, mm-hmm. so you started to see the wheels fall off. He had games where he'd have, you know, three interceptions, you know, in a game. And so he, start, he got benched. And then he started mm-hmm. protesting, and now he's gone. So you've got mm-hmm. two things. Is Colin Kaepernick not getting a job because he's not a very good quarterback or because he's protesting? And it's both. Uh, it's come out. Right. You know, right. There are, there are right. several, several teams who have had administrators say, he's not very good. We would probably give him a go as a backup quarterback. But the problem is, you know, our, you know, our coaches would be like, what are you doing handing me this guy? He's a distraction. There's a team first right. mentality in the NFL. There's a, it's team first. Next man up, right. you know, team first. Right. Uh, and right. if you right. are a Colin, Colin Kaepernick first, then you, you don't. Then you you fly in the face of the team first culture that it belongs to an NFL team. Correct, correct. I agree with you. All right, we got to move on because our guest is ready, and I can't wait to talk to him. Our guest tonight, who I ran into and met for the first time at the National, is a very long. Time subscriber to Gridiron Greats Magazine. He's going to be featured in the fall issue as our Green Bay Packers super collector. And he hails from Wisconsin. And I'd like to introduce Mr. Scott Walter. Scott, welcome to the show tonight. Thanks for having me. How are you guys doing? Very doing good, good. Very good. Thanks, thanks for being on the show. Scott. Very nice. 
sorry. Yeah, no, I think uh, it was great to see you again uh, at the National, Bob, and had a good conversation there. Oh, and, okay. uh, yeah, I, I echo a lot of things you said about the National Finals oddball items. Great, great. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was nice talking to you. I'm glad we were able to hook up. And I want to start off by asking you, how did you become a collector of Green Bay Packers memorabilia? Um, you know what? I think just growing up, uh, like anybody else, I uh, collected a lot of baseball cards and um, was in the cards for quite a while. You know, I remember scrounging the change between the couch cushions to we had a card shop probably a couple miles away from us and, you know, always always taking the change and trying to buy that new pack of cards. And I think that was a, that was a time, too, and it was interesting in the hobby because there was really only Tops and Flair and Dunruss. And then um, I know things changed. Upper Deck came on the scene, and the packs got more expensive and, and more, more and more expensive. You know, Leaf came out, and uh, I think it turned me off a little bit on cards. And um, I think going – after a little bit of high school, started going to flea markets and whatnot, and I, I had been a Packer fan like anybody else growing up in Wisconsin and fell in love with um, the story of the team, the, the connection with the fans and anybody else. And, um, you know, there were some lean years there in the 80s, but kind of was religious watching them in the 80s. You know, I remember the Monday night Bears game from 82 or 83. When, um, that was not a good game. But the, the cardiac pack in 89, um, and just kind of fell in love you know, with the Packers, was watching them as, you know, a young boy growing up. And then at the same time, kind of lost my interest in cards, went to a flea market, and uh, found this old Ray Nitschke uh, Packers pin, a Wheel of Ray pin from a fan appreciation day that they did in, I think, 71 um, for Ray to kind of uh-huh. celebrate his career. Bought it, um, right. and ever since then I was hooked. It kind of connected my two uh, passions, my collecting and uh, the Packers, and ever since then I was hooked. Wow. That's cool. And, uh, and anybody – any, anybody, and I, I say this all the time, I've been to Green Bay several times. I've been to other stadiums throughout the country. There is nothing the Green Bay Packers game experience, especially game day, uh, to go to any of the uh, pregame uh, parties and um, uh, places you can go eat and so on and so forth. It's just an incredible Incredible experience, and I, I know I've said this before in the past, but I got I got to say it one more time. The first game my wife and I attended, we're saying, "Well, gee, you know, we're used to New York, where you, you know, it takes you sure. four hours to get home, which should be an hour yep, and a half yep. ride because the tra- traffic is all bad." So I said to my wife, "I said, well, let's let's just stand here and, and let's look at the traffic and see how bad it was. We had a rental car, and uh, we were going to go to Fuzzy's afterwards because I wanted to meet sure. him. I heard he was there." And, um, you know, have a drink over there, and then we'll head back to the hotel. So we're leaving, and we never saw, like, 50,000 people orderly walk out of a stadium, get in their vehicles, actually stop at stoplights and go on green lights and allow people to cross the streets. <laughs> we never sure. saw anything like that. We're like, we're, like, just standing there in awe, you know, wondering. Yeah. We've never seen anything like this before. This is yeah, amazing. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I would echo know, that uh, a few Oh, go ahead. And then, then I asked directions to Fuzzies. I got it. I, and then a fellow said, well, just follow me. I'm going to go there. And I said, I'll buy you a drink. He said, no, you're from Connecticut. I'm going to buy you guys a drink for being the, you yeah. know, I'm a wow. And Yeah, we uh, had a similar experience. Meet Fuzzy and uh, picture with him. It was truly, what an amazing experience. What an amazing mm-hmm, experience. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just incredible. Yeah. We had a similar experience a few years ago. We have friends that live in L.A., and uh, he came up, and I took him to his first Packers game, um, you know, and uh, he just could not believe it. Here's the stadium, 
you know, he's used to Los Angeles, but here's this stadium in Green Bay that's literally plopped down in the middle of a neighborhood. There's houses right. all around it, right. and we yep. park our car. We're walking to the stadium. A gentleman offers him an adult beverage, you know, for free. Just he knew he. It's just amazing. It's just it's a different different experience. And I just I honestly I know it sounds kind of corny, but I I get the chills every time I go to Green Bay. I remember the first time going to Green Bay and seeing that that big receiver statue standing outside the Hall of Fame for the first time. But it's just yep. it's a it's an incredible experience. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. It's just truly really well, amazing. Well, as a Seahawk fan, even I recognize that Lambeau Field is the mecca of football. So one of these days, I will <laughs> good, make the good. Pil- <laughs> one of these days I will make the pilgrimage to Mecca and I will kneel at uh, the Coliseum that you know that uh, the the Lumber Bowl Trophy Lombardi is named after. So there Lombardi you go. Field. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, you're gonna you're, you're gonna hear it first here when Joe goes to Green Bay. Brenda and I will go out there and meet him and whoever he's with. I'm always respectful. I, I, I'm, I'm always respectful. My goal is to have a picture of me standing in front of every NFL stadium wearing a Steve Largent jersey. Uh, wow, nice. I've got, about, I've got about 10 of them down right now. Uh, wow. But, you know, had a couple kids in between, you know, business gets in the way. It's been about three years since I've been to one. Yeah. Uh, but. Some pretty memorable ones. I went to uh, went to you know Chicago, you know to Soldier Stadium with uh, you know with Andy Becker from BST. Crashed yep, at his house yep. for a couple of days. And he and I took yep. a rickshaw to the game. I talked him into getting into a rickshaw with me. And <laughs> 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 Andy Becker, no small guy. If you can imagine, he and I squeezed into a rickshaw, getting dropped off in front of Soldier Field with you know everybody looking at us. So sure. Uh, poor Andy, I embarrassed him for life. Uh, but. I've got a couple couple questions. I mean, everybody's got a couple of, uh, you know, their top items. And sometimes sure. that item is, you know, value. Sometimes it's, you know, sentimental. Yep, yep, uh, yep. You know, uh, I'm sure you've got a, you know, gently game used Brett Favre jockstrap in your collection. But <laughs> what, what are your, you know, what are your top five <laughs> items in your collection that you that I you do love? have a pair of his gently used socks, but I do not have the jockstrap. Oh, okay. Yes. You can um, call no. a fan. I'm sorry, what? You call yourself a fan? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know what? I'm not sure where to start, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I think the best thing about collecting is there's just so many different oddball items and variations of things um, that I really I truly love them all. And I think, you know, most of my shrine is in my basement, and I truly love going down there. And I think, like, most, most collectors, too, you run out of space pretty quick. So I think I, I tend to rotate yep. things in and out or, find, quote, unquote, find things that I didn't know that I had anymore. But I think um, my, my favorite probably is I have a practice-worn um, Vince Lombardi jacket. Um, I'm the fourth owner of it. It, it, came, from, it came from his wow. secretary. So, and I think what I like about it the most, most of the pictures that you see of Vince, you see him in that green jacket with the script uh, Green Bay Packers lettering on. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's the jacket, so that's pretty cool. Um, that's, that's one of my oh, favorites. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think when I picked up, that, how do you have that displayed? If you don't mind, you know what? To be honest with you, I have it. I that that's when I put away and bring out from time to time, just on the stand. I haven't Got framed it because I I don't really want to frame it. To be honest with you, um, you know, I kind of like displaying the whole jacket. I'd like to find a big like shadow box or something to put that in. But um, yeah, I have yeah, just mm-hmm. just eyeball stuff. I have a. Um, a 1915 Green Bay East yearbook uh, that has it's not Curly's yearbook, but he's he was a sophomore in it. It has a lot of pictures of him playing football. 
um, you know, and on the tra- Curly Lambo on the track team, and then he's pictured kind of. Um, there's a solo picture of him, a track picture, so that's that's kind of cool. And you know, right after Green Bay East, he went he went on to spend a fall in Notre Dame, and then the rest is kind of green and gold history when he came back home. Yeah. Um, my uh, going awesome. leading leading down to the basement, I have um, uh, one of the old admission signs from the original Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame when it was first uh, built. It's there's only one of two signs, and it's it's kind of leading down to my basement. It's a big sign. It has the old Packer helmet and all the admission prices for kids and adults, and that's kind of a neat piece. Oh, that's cool. uh, kind of a one of a kind. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, you know, you've seen the pictures of the the big uh, felt title town banners that used to hang on uh, the businesses in the '60s during one of the championship parades. I have one of those kind of up in my basement. Um, yeah, I think my neatest piece that I picked up about a year ago that I'm still kind of doing research on is I have a carbon copy of the Articles of Incorporation for the Packers that they were filed. It it has the date that they were filed. They were filed in January uh, something in 1935, um, and it kind of outlines how the organization will be set up at that time with that with after that stock sale. Um, and it was filed by three members of the original Hungry Five, who kind of um, kind of led the Packers through their lean years in the in the 20s and 30s. Um, and then wow. I have some correspondence on Packers letterhead from the mid 1940s between those, between those guys as well. And I just, and I love, I, again, that's where I rotate things in and out. I love looking at some of the old logos and I have a lot of old, yeah. you know, uh, stationary and whatnot with a lot of, it's interesting to see how the colors change and the logos change throughout time of teams. And I love looking at that. You know, what's, so. fa- you know what's fascinating, Scott? Not one of those items you mentioned is a football card. Yeah, you're right. You're, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I know, and that's yeah. what I said. I got a, yeah, I've kind of lost interest in cards. And got there's so many odd, neat oddball items out there that I like looking at. Without a doubt, yeah. So where's that Ray? We got Ray Nitschke. It is still displayed. I have a on one of the shelves downstairs. I have a case with uh, or a couple cases with a lot of the pins and stuff. It's still there, the original pin. And that's I don't, I don't. Um, you know, I still like. I think I was telling you about it with the national. I still I do buy and sell a little bit, but I will only sell my duplicates. Mm-hmm. I don't um, sell my originals. But basically, the theory is. That if I find, you know, enough duplicates, I can increase my own collection for free, or at least that's what I tell myself. It maybe doesn't work out that way. Probably spend more money than <laughs> that I make, or, but you know mm-hmm. how that is. I love it. Yeah, I mean, again, if we all had an infinite amount of money, we theoretically could buy everything that we wanted. But then yeah. again, mm-hmm. is it everything we really want? And you know, the, the, the amazing part about your collection, Scott. And, Looking at the uh, photos you sent me, which are going to be in the upcoming issue of, of Gridiron Greats, I, I mean, the stuff is just, it, it's just mind-boggling to me. And I say to myself, you know, I can see why individuals don't really need to collect football cards. You know what I mean? Because right, there's right. so much stuff out there. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. You know, yep. and, and there's so many different peripheral items that you can uh, you can collect, yes. paper items, so on and so forth. It yes. just truly amazes me. It truly amazes me. Yeah, and I know you um, were kidding me about the jockstrap, but I just started getting into game news stuff a couple years ago, and I'd never been into that, but that's that's a huge market in and of itself. Right. right. Yeah, I'll confess right. to you, Scott. I don't, I don't own a Steve Largent jockstrap either, so you're in good company. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm glad, Joe, you don't. But, uh, even, even even I have a even I have a you know a line that gets drawn between being a fan and being being you know being weird. <laughs> exactly. As, as Scott, do you have any memorable collecting stories you like to share with our listening audience? Um, 
you know what I I was trying to think about this. You know what I, I think everybody has stories of the, the quote unquote the find, um, and I think I've, I've made a couple of those good finds. I mean. Um, I think once they back in the 60s, uh, Mobile, the the gas station company, came out with these Packer prints. It was a set of eight prints in these big envelopes, and yeah. I came across one that yeah. a rummage, a big box of like there were fifth. There's eight in a set, and I came across there had to be at least 50 to 60 sets in there. Um, so that wow. was kind of you know like a dime. I think it was I think it was like a dime a piece, but I think I paid like maybe 10 bucks for the whole box. Um, wow. I think uh, in the wow. 90s, the Packers Pro Shop used to have a like a tent sale. Came across a pair of Brett Favre uh, game used pants. Now it's jockstrap again, but um, the game used pants <laughs> just in a box of pants, which is kind of cool with the number four, and they they showed game use. Um, I think one of my favorite memories, however, just happened uh, this last spring. It was a, a game used item, but um, you know now I think I get the joy of being a dad and seeing my son uh, get a little interested in it. We happened to be up in Green Bay um, at the pro shop and just just kind of bumming around. And one of the managers kind of came up and started talking to my son, asking us where we were from, et cetera, et cetera, who his favorite player was. And behind his back, he pulled out a pair of these practice pants and gave them to my son. And I, I, he kind of looked at me, and I noticed the tag right away. It had the, the logo inside and the 12, and Aaron Rod, it had said Rodgers. And um, Alex, my, my son Alex said, you know, thank you at first, like he should. And, but he didn't really get the tagging and whose they were. And then, you know, the manager prodded him to look a little further on the inside. And once he realized that they were uh, Aaron Rodgers' pants, I mean, he was on a high wow. um, for weeks. And, yeah, a little little hole in the knee. You know, they definitely had some practice use. But um, that was pretty cool, I think, to see my son, uh, you know, have wow. that joy as well. Um, and I think I've just, you know, I've met great people along the way. Um, I think one of my favorite stories is uh, just, you know, talking to some of the players, I think, I used to, I make the pilgrim pilgrimage up to training camp um, every year too. I think that's why Bob I couldn't be on the earlier show because I was at uh, training camp. But it was the summer of uh, I think '94 '95, and after practice I drove uh, over to St. Norbert's where the players kind of hang out in the dorms afterwards and where they live during mm-hmm. training camp. And I was just walking around campus, and sure, Brett Favre parked his truck and ha- pulls up. Um, t-shirt and shorts and he's carrying this tv and looks at me he says how's it going and i said, couldn't good mr fire how are you and uh and i asked him uh if he wouldn't mind you know i i had a couple things i wouldn't would you mind signing something he said absolutely just let me take this up so he takes his tv out of his truck takes it up must place it he comes back down 10 minutes later and talks to me for about 10 minutes signs some newspapers that i have you know, with him on the cover and just a nice, nice guy. I mean, that's before, you know, he, he became, you know, like Mr. NFL at the time, but yeah, just, mm-hmm. I think that kind of stuff, um, Bart Starr, I've had many, many good Bart Starr's encounters, um, just a genuine class act and truly, um, yeah, just, just a lot of good stories like that. of just meeting people. That's great. Speaking of Bart oh, Starr, did you see that, uh, did you see that, 1957, uh, you know, Topps Bart Star rookie card, you know, that just sold at auction. No, I didn't. Uh, no. It, it, well, it wasn't the rookie card. Excuse me. It was the, uh, you know, the original artwork from it. Uh, oh, oh really? Yeah. 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 Was, wow. was that was that the MS, MSB? Or excuse me, BSD? Was that the? Was that them or who was I, that that sold that, Captain? I think it was. Yeah. I, I I didn't follow it closely enough, but I know what you're talking yeah. about. I think it might have yeah. been them. Wow. But, uh, yeah, original artwork. Uh, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, current want list. What are you looking for? I mean, uh, I would imagine some Packers, Walkers, Cleaners. 
sets are on that want list. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I would I would love actually to have those. Those would definitely be on my want list. I I'll be honest in saying I do not have any of those. Um, you know, I I said I, I'm branching into the older um, game used items. I would love you know I don't know if you've ever seen like the blue and gold capes. Um, from the 50s, early 60s, um, that the players huh. were on the sideline. I do not have one of those, but those are really sharp looking. Um, but really, I'm interested in you know any buttons, pins, glasses, pennants, any anything really oddball. Um, I always tell people when I run into them, if it's green and gold, I'll buy it. So, um, yeah, just anything oddball. Are you, I got a seriously or a Packer Walker cleaner set on your want list. I well, yeah, I would love it. I I don't know if if my wife would have it on my want list based on how much they cost. But. <laughs> Scott, I got a That's I got cool. a question a little off off the script here uh, with regards to a want list. In, in sure. your travels, and I, I'm I'm I like Packer programs. I do have a pretty big collection of them, although I have yeah. very few pre 1940. And and you're you know obviously in the heart of Packerland there. How difficult are earlier Packer programs? Let's say you know basically 1919 up to World War II. What's your uh, take on it? What are your feelings on it as far as how how difficult or how uh, plentiful they may be? I think you know you're gonna find stuff. Um, you know from the 30s, I think they're around, and occasionally I'll see them on eBay. You're, and you're gonna pay market value for those. Right. Um, right from right. from the upper from the upper 30s, early 40s. Um, lower 30s, they're not. You don't run across them too much in in 20s even. I mean, you're you're gonna uh-huh. pay a pretty penny for them. I mean, there was a time. I mean, when I started collecting, you know, in the mid mid to late 90s. I mean, they were out there, and the Green Bay Packer Bulletin. You know, those when they produced those, those were out there. I mean, there were people that told stories about finding boxes of them at that time and for nothing. And I probably could have had mm-hmm. them if I would have looked hard enough. I didn't. You know, the, you kick yourself now, but. You're doing this 20 years yeah. and you learn, but um, yeah, I don't think they're I don't think they're very plentiful. And then if they are, I mean, you're gonna pay you're gonna pay for them. And they come across at auctions and things, but um, to put a put together a you know a nice run of them um, would cost a pretty penny. Yeah, hmm. I mean, I I, I kind of figured that. I just I was just curious, and the few times that the, the times I've been up to Green Bay and Wisconsin there, and I've actually had the time to travel. I've hit a lot mm-hmm. of different antique shops up there. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. trying, you know, trying like every other person who goes there to Wisconsin trying to find something. And yep. uh, a gentleman in, it was like a co-ops uh, shop. I don't remember the town it was. Uh, he told me straight out, uh, he, he if he gets any 1920s or 1930s programs, they're sold immediately. And it's yeah. at his price, and no questions asked whatsoever. But I was just Absolutely. curious if there's if, it, if there's any any uh, any difference in in seeing it there as compared to a show or whatever. I know this show. No. You see yeah. a couple a couple older programs, but nothing of any um, to me uh, of great uh, rarity or whatever. You know, I saw a few from the 40s. Uh, but yeah, I there's not. I didn't and buy that, them. Yeah, and that really changed. I mean, I I distinctly remember when it when it changed, I mean, even at shows, I mean, me doing shows, I've been doing shows, you know, as a dealer myself for quite some time too. But when the Packers won, I call it the first Super Bowl, not the first, the first Super Bowl of my era in 96. Even when you talk about going to antique malls and everything, prices jumped dramatically. Um, You know, even people that didn't know a lot about it, if if it had a G on it, they would mark it up tremendously, especially being in Wisconsin. Um, It's harder to to track that stuff down at at a reasonable price. Yeah, 
I can, I can imagine that too. And then the other question uh, off the script a little, the Packer yearbook, um, obviously 1960 is the treasured yep. one, although I've been seeing yep. more and more come to the market over the past yeah. few years. In your opinion, what's a fair price for that, for that yearbook? I mean, I've seen it anywhere from 300 all the way up to a thousand and I'm just looking for like a readable copy of it. So what do you think I should pay uh, based, based on that? I mean, obviously the, the cover and the binding make the difference. If you're looking for a readable copy and you don't care if the cover is a little beat up and whatnot, I think, yeah. you know, I've seen them for as low as 300 um, with mm-hmm. a clean cover, you know, out here. And I know our prices probably are not, I know if you go out east or down to Chicago, they're a little bit more out here. I've seen them for, mm-hmm. you know, six, 700, you know, on what people would consider, you know, pretty pristine condition. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's pretty much the range. Okay. Uh, Could you guys uh, elaborate on why the why the 1960 program is so important? I mean, we ha- we have some uh, some listeners and some Seahawks fans who aren't quite aware of why the so it's a, why the 1960 it's, it's program. The first, yeah, it's the first yearbook in the in the run, which became you know it's been one of the longest continuous running yearbooks of any any team for that you know 1960 to now, and it's the first first in the run of them. Oh okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, they are the long, they that. are the longest longest issuing team in the NFL uh, publishing a yearbook. So yeah. from 1960 through now, the current issue 2017, which I know is out, uh, they have a complete run. And, and for me, the only issue that I'm missing is the 1961. I didn't pull the trigger on one I saw at the National. I thought it was a little high. And uh, sure. it was in very nice condition. But, you know, I'm going to go home, and one night before I go to bed, I'm going to read it. Type of right, thing. exactly. And, you know, I, yep, absolutely. I'm not going to I'm not going to have white gloves on while I'm reading it type of thing. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the cat may jump on me while I'm reading it type of thing. Also, yep, yep. So I got to, you know, I, that's why I, I was more, I'm more looking for a readable, readable issue. And as such to say, I do have every issue of the, of the uh, yearbook. I, I do love their yearbooks. They're, they're very, very well done, oh, yeah. very nicely written, very, yep, very uh, complete. They're, they're really nice to read. And the sixties ones, the, from 60 to 69, they're, they're beautifully done. The photography is incredible. And they are, yeah, you're right. Uh, you're right. Funny, about five years books. ago, the NFL about, about five years ago, the NFL came out with the most rabid fan list. Uh, it was based on sales of, you know, uh, you know team memorabilia, et cetera. And, you know, they're, they're the Steelers, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Dallas Cowboys, the Chicago Bears, Green Bay Packers, and the Oakland Raiders was the one that you know made my me raise an eyebrow on that list. You know, mm-hmm. but yeah, so it's it's not hard to imagine why that stuff is scarfed up. You know that that's oh, yeah. very rare and oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. You know, you've got rav- ravenous, zealous fans who who just love yep. anything vintage Green Bay. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, definitely, especially with the Packers, uh, the, the 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 richness of their history just makes it so appealing to collect. And to know yeah. that, you know, especially if you're a shareholder on top of yep. it, it makes me even yep. more proud of, of it. And, yep. um, you know, that's part of the excitement to me of being a Packer fan and a, and a Packer collect, uh, collector, even though I'm stuck in Wallingford, Connecticut here. So, uh, yeah. it's, and it's and it's something, too, as an aside, going back to that first visit to uh, Fuzzy's over there. And when I met Fuzzy, and he asked, you know, where we came from, and I said Wallingford, Connecticut. And he was generally... Um, not surprised, but he was just so happy to hear that we were from Connecticut. And I told him about my um, 
liking about Sharonsky growing up in the 60s, and he got all excited when he heard that. He told me a few stories about Sharonsky, and because uh, he was he was grew up locally here and he played football here locally, and the New Haven papers used to cover him religiously because he was a local boy that made good with the Packers. The Packers were winning, so on and so forth. It's just it's just a great storyline to say the least. I mean, just Absolutely. incredible. Absolutely, and that's why I think, you know, and every team has their stories and their characters, but I think the Packers just have so many, and then when you talk about collecting, there's different items that, you know, necessarily, the team didn't necessarily produce, but they go along with those stories and they go along with those characters. You know, like I'm talking about those articles of incorporation that I have. You know, this team almost folded, you know, and they, they in the 30s, 40s, there were many times that they almost folded, and we wouldn't be talking about it today. Right. So, And there's just all different kinds of items that go along with the stories. And so, that, yeah, it's truly rich history. It's just, it's just, a, it's an amazing story that I, I truly wish the NFL would, um, what's a good word for it, respect it a little more than what it does. And I know sure. it's a sore spot for them because you're in a, such a small market, but you don't right, really right. realize you're, you're you're one of three America's teams out there. You know, because right, you have right. fans throughout the world who are Packer fans. You know, that's the situation. And, Absolutely. Um, you know. And you can't you can't begrudge them because that stadium is in the middle of a residential neighborhood, and you park on no. people's lawns <laughs> for ten bucks and use their right. bathrooms before you go you go to the game type of thing. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And I've had that happen to me a few times. And, and coming back from the game, the, the woman's house, she says, "I got food in there. Go to the bathroom before you get in the car. Eat some stuff and and get home safe." Type of thing. <laughs> And, and we're like, Brenda and I are looking at each other and said, this, this can't, be, can't be real. Because, you know, do you go to a game, go to a Giants game here or a Jets game, you know, you want to run to your car and lock yourself in the car and, right. you know, get out of there type of thing. You know, it's just, just, it's just truly amazing. <laughs> Scott, I got, right. I got another question for you. Do sure. you have any advice for a beginning collector? Somebody's listening tonight and, and they're saying, wow, I, I, I want to collect my – Packers, I want to collect my Cowboys or Seahawks or whatever my favorite team or college team, whatever the case might be. You have any I think with anything else, you know, start small. We talked about there's so many different uh, different avenues you can go down, so I guess I would pick one avenue first, and I guess my, my overall advice would be to enjoy the hunt. You know, I can't, there's just so many, you never know what you're going to go find. When you go to Antique Mall or, or Flea Market or anything else, I mean, part of me Sounds kind of corny again, but you get on the high when you find that item, and there's an anticipation there, and to to enjoy that, and um, you know, sometimes you just can't have a list. You got to look around, and you just don't know what you're going to find. Um, and yeah. I, I think just, yeah, I think I think what also is important to the more you can network. You know, I've met so many other great collectors, and then as you meet people, you learn more about you know some stories that they have about items or the history of items, and then you get into the history of the team. Um, so the more you network, the more information you get too. So I guess those would be my pieces yeah. of advice. It's it's amazing, and you know it's funny when you say it, it, the thrill of the hunt. We Brenda yeah. and I, my wife and I, go to a lot of tag sales here locally, and you yeah, know a yeah. lot of them are are, are are you know they're just people clearing their house out. So we go to this brand new condo complex, and there was a condo for sale, and the guy had all his stuff on the on the driveway, and, and my wife says, "I'm sitting in the car. You go go out there." So I go out sure. there and I'm looking and I see this box and it's filled with 1960s New York Giant programs, yearbooks, and stuff. And I'm looking at it, I'm looking through it, and I'm saying, no, it can't be. 
And the guy says, do you want that box? I, I said, well, what are you asking for? He said, well, how about 20 bucks? I said, uh, yeah, that's that's very very fair. I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna work it. I'll, I'll make some money on it. Type of thing. Yeah, yeah. But I said to him, how did how did you ever, you know, you're a young guy. How did you ever come upon this? And he said it was it sure. was my uncle's, and I've been carrying it for like uh, for, you know 25 30 years now. And he says I really want to get rid of it. Next up, I'm gonna throw yeah. it in the garbage. And I yeah, said, well, yeah. I said, you know, you got you got a lot of nice 1960s stuff here. I mean, it's, and he said, yeah, that's what other people said, but I don't want to be bothered with it. And that's uh-huh. it. And, and I mean, I, I was floored, and I go back to the uh, back to the car, and Brenda says to me, "What'd you buy now?" And I and, and I showed her, and she said, "Oh my gosh, how, how could you? You know, you would never think from this condo complex that you would find something like that." And that's why right, the hunt is half the fun. It is. You're absolutely right. You know, you're absolutely right. Stuff. It's just truly amazing, and it's true. And yeah. if you actually have fun with it. You can you can really enjoy your collection. Yeah. All right, Scott. Absolutely. Any any other final thoughts? We're we're running out of time here. No, I just appreciate the conversation, guys, and appreciate the opportunity. And uh, yeah. no, it was good. It's fun. It's fun uh, God, to talk your, about the talk about these things. Yeah. I loved your story about either everybody. Everybody's got a story about what kickstarted them back into the hobby. Uh, and I yeah, love your Ray story because yeah, yeah, you know. I, I collected most of my, you know, youth life. And then in 1999, my sister gave me an autographed Steve Largent card for Christmas. And oh. the rest is history. There you go. Yeah, exactly. One of my most valuable, one of my most valuable cards is this. Yeah. Worthless, worthless Steve Largent autographed card. It's not even his rookie oh, card. Funny. That is, it, it's just the card that got me back yep. into the hobby. And it's Absolutely. It's one of the wow. gifts somebody's ever given. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. And it, that's that's the fun of our having to say the least. It's uh, one spark that yeah. brings you to this journey. Truly amazing. Well, Scott, thank yeah. you very much for being on the show. Uh, hopefully, we'll run in together, and I'll I'm gonna give you a call next time I'm in Green Bay. And, uh, that sounds good. Uh, we'll I would take you up on it. Hey, you can come over to the shrine. I'll take I'm, I'm gonna take you up on looking at the museum there. If, uh, All right, that we, sounds we good. Fit in <laughs> All right, Scott. Thank you. Take care, guys. Scott Walter. Thanks, All right, thank you. Green okay, yeah, take care. Super tour. <laughs> super thank you. Bye-bye. Super collector for the fall issue. Unbelievable collection. I was so happy to run into him at, at the National. And, again, I want to remind everybody, cool. check out MSB Sports Cards, their website, msbsportscards.com, and look into that new fall upcoming auction with BST Auctions, bstauctions.com. Joe, that, that, was, that was just, boy. I'm, I'm literally speechless after hearing his stuff and seeing the stuff, and and I know a lot of our readers are going to be really uh, interested in that article in the fall issue. And just, yeah, I can't he has wait. some amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Yeah, really amazing stuff. So did Truly you run amazing. into him at the national? Yeah, he um, he comes up to me and he says, "You're Bob Slick," and I said, "Yes, I am." I said, "I I I, I said I I don't know who you are," and he said, "I'm Scott Walter." And I recognize his name as being a subscriber. I also recognize he's a, he's a very big Packer collector. And we get, we ended up talking for probably 45 minutes there. And I said, uh, i got to have you on the show. And we were talking about the super collector, and uh, he agreed to be here. Um, and we took it from there. So I was very pleased. And Scott is one of the original subscribers to, to Gridiron Greats also. So he's been with the magazine for many, many years. But I knew um, of Scott's uh, collecting uh, items uh, way back when, 
because he, he was a big Packer, you know, looking for Packer stuff, so on and so forth. And, then, you know, that's the nice part about this hobby. I know I've been in it for a couple hundred years now. But, you know, the people I know, and then not remembering names, but I always kind of remember what they collected. And that, to me, is just is just the pureness of this hobby that I've seen for so many years now. You know, I know the guy who's the Packers collector. I know the guy who's the Browns collector. I know the guy who's the big Cowboys collector. I know the guy who's the big Army-Navy collector, so on and so forth. And it's just it, it literally there, there's so many of those those types of collectors out there. That, that's what makes the hobby so rewarding. It's, it's truly great. I mean, I can throw away all the commercialism of the hobby and continue to just enjoy and treasure the seeing those types of collections and, and talking to these people and interviewing them on their collection. And yeah. it's just, it truly amazes me. Truly amazes me. You know, and, and even, you know, looking at your collection with Red Grange to me, is just, it's so amazing to see and to hear about. And it's so historical. It's just, it's just incredible. It's, it's truly an incredible, incredible collection. And there's so many of those incredible collections out there too. That, that's what I find wow. so uh, rewarding. In the hobby, to thank say you. Uh, thank you. I, I mean, I'll I'll say it's, it's it's humbling to have somebody like you, you know, compliment my collection. You know, thank you very much. You know, especially when you know we've got a Mike Blaisdell collection on the, you know, coming up on the hopper. It's just, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, my stuff pales into comparison to breadth and width of you know that collection and just his knowledge of you know stuff. You know, he he's been collecting for 15 years things sets that I've never even yep. heard of. So I mean that's the, right. you know, that's the humbleness of the whole thing. Well, you know, I I was telling Mike, you know, half kidding and half not kidding. I I got a little choked up at the end of the show this year, and I normally don't. You know, I'm I'm saying to myself, you know, it's time to get home. I'm, I'm, you know, I want to get home, get into my own bed, so on and so forth. But this show, for whatever reason, you know, and spending a lot of time with Mike talking about things, it it really. It, it kind of got to me, and I'm saying to myself, you know, I'm getting older. I'll be 60 next year already. You know, I've been doing this for a long, long time, and yeah, I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of trends. I've seen trends I don't like. I've seen trends I do like, and I think this show finally made me realize more than anything else, I just got to do what I find that is fun. I can't fight about the the box breaks anymore. I'm not going to worry about whether people have a one-card collection. I'm not going to worry if they're just going <laughs> to go to the show for an autograph. I'm not going to worry about anything anymore. And at the same yep. time, I'm going to enjoy what anybody collects, being football, obviously. You know, whether they just do collect cards, whether they just do collect tenants, or whatever the case might be, I just, mm-hmm. I just let it ride. And, and, I, and I told Mike that while, I was, while we were out there. And then I said, you know, I'm choked up because, you know, you're you're really you're slowing down in your collecting, and, and you know I think every collector reaches that point where they, you know, they got to wonder, okay, I don't want to drop dead tomorrow and then leave my collection for my wife to try to figure out what to do. You know, obviously, you know, Mike, myself, many other big collectors, they have a you know a plan. If God forbid anything happens, you know, this is what you got to follow. You know, I talked to the people in advance already. You know, this is this you know this is it. You know. So it is what it is, but I, yeah. I was a little choked up at the end of this national, and uh, it, it was it was very meaningful for me. I'm I'm glad I went. I'm glad Brenda came with me too, and she even said she she had a good time, and uh, it, it was good. It was overall good. All right, we're down to a minute again. 
Um, we we were we'll, we'll be hopefully back. I'm assuming within two weeks. I'm working on several guests for September, and we're going to have a few more shows. Joe, great to talking to you again. But you got to come to the national Always. next year, whether you like it or not. Count. And you can count on it, sir. It, I just uh, had had a lot going on this year, you know, and uh, it just ended up not working out. My my wife's mother's health was the number one reason I couldn't make it. Right, right, so. right. I fully understand that. I fully understand. All right, thirty seconds. We're we're wrapping it up again. Check out our website, gridirongreatsmagazine.com. We have back issue sales also. Fall issue will be out first week in um, first week in October. And Joe, we'll be talking. Thanks for listening. Thank you very much, Captain. Till next time. All right. Take care. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.